0: You're listening to The Way Home with Daniel Darling, a proud member of the Venom Audio Network. Well, hello and welcome to The Way Home Podcast. This is Dan Darling. I'm so glad that you're joining me today. We are headed into our Christmas season. This is a season that I love. And I hope you're enjoying it as well as you sort of get your house ready for Christmas. If it's not already, uh, we put our Christmas tree up uh, after Thanksgiving, which is sort of our tradition here in the Darling House. You may have a, a different one we may put up earlier. But it's the season is filled with Christmas parties and shopping. and But hopefully, uh, a focus on uh, the Advent season, uh, a focus on the reason why we all pause and uh, celebrate, uh, the birth of Jesus, God with us, the the miracle of God in the flesh coming in the form of, of a vulnerable human baby born to a poor Jewish couple who lived in a backwater town in a forgotten Roman province. Uh, hopefully you're focusing your family's attention on the meaning of Christmas this season. If you are, I'd love to encourage you to get my book, The Characters of Christmas. If you ever wondered about who are these people around the nativity set that show up on our Christmas cards and that our kids dress up as uh, during Christmas pageant? What were their lives like? Uh, well, they're just ordinary people caught up in the story of Jesus. But if you're interested in that, you might like my book, The Characters of Christmas. Uh, you can go to your favorite real retailer to order it. You can go to danieldarling.com, click on books, and you'll find the book there, and you'll find links to all the retailers that you like to buy it there. But if You can also go wherever you buy books and get that. I'd love for you to do that. Also, I want to encourage you to sign up for my newsletter, One Little Word. You can find a link to that on my website, danieldarling.com. Sign up for the free or the paid version. Okay, today's guest is a return guest, uh, a friend of mine by the name of Randy Newman. Now, I first heard Randy speak years and years and years ago at a Right to Publish conference when I was first kind of dipping my toe into writing, uh, writing articles and books. This was a conference that was held at Wheaton College. I would go every year to try to meet editors and sort of figure out what it would take to get published. Well, he was a keynote speaker one year, and I was captivated by his story of becoming a Christian from Judaism. And Randy is a really gifted uh, apologist, I would say, writer, speaker. He does a lot of work with the C.S. Lewis Institute. Well, his latest book is called Mere Evangelism, 10 Insights from C.S. Lewis to Help You Share Your Faith. I don't know about you, but C.S. Lewis is someone whose work I really enjoy. I just, My wife and I just went and saw the movie about his life the story of a reluctant convert, about he, how he moved from really atheism to Christianity, how God kind of brought him forward in that way. Well, Randy Newman had a similar journey of faith and uh, his, uh, his book is Mere Evangelism, Ten Insights from C.S. Lewis to Help You Share Your Faith. Randy's got a really unique uh, perspective. In his other work, uh, he's talked about the importance f- for those of us who evangelize to share the good news, that, uh, the importance of asking good questions and having good conversations and dialogue. And uh, he is really good at this. So I'm not going to hold you any longer. I want to get right to our conversation with Randy Newman. I'm glad to have Randy Newman back here on the Way Home podcast. Randy, thanks for joining me today.
1: Oh, my delight! Thanks very much.
0: So I've had you on before, but it's been a couple of years, and uh, I just to refresh the audience. I first met you, heard of you a long time ago at the Right to Publish conference in Wheaton, oh Illinois. My. Wow! And you, sp- you spoke. Gosh, I can't remember when that was. It might have been ten years ago. At least, now. at least, and. uh I loved it. I was captivated by your story Hmm. and of coming to faith. And I I still remember one of the stories you told about kind of searching like, you know, how do I have a relationship with God, you know, beyond sort of the religious stuff and you going on a mission trip with some evangelical kids on a bus and they were praying for traveling mercy and praying for all. And you're like, you can't pray for that stuff. <laughs> you know, I just remember, I just remember you telling that story. So anyways, I've always loved your work. I loved your book questioning evangelism. So glad to have you back on, man.
1: Great. Great to be with you. Yeah. Well, uh, just, just to clarify, it wasn't, um, it wasn't a mission trip. It was just a bus trip from the church parking lot to the beach ah and the person stood up and prayed that we'd be safe and traveling and that we'd have a fun time at the beach and that nobody would get badly sunburned. In Jesus' name, amen. And I thought, these people are crazy. <laughs> like, really? You, you're you bothering the Almighty about something about sunburn? But, but, that, but that still sticks in my head, and that's over 40 plus years ago, because it hit me that, well, wait a minute, maybe... Maybe you do pray to God about sunburn. Wouldn't that be cool? Wouldn't that be great if you could talk to God about that kind of stuff? So, yes, that was the uh, beginning rumblings of the Lord drawing me to himself.
0: Well, it is your story is fascinating. I encourage everyone who if they have not interacted with uh, Randy's story and read his books. We'll have links to them in the show notes. But I loved your book, Questioning Evangelism, and and several other things that you have done. But you have a new book out called Mir Evangelism, 10 Insights from C.S. Lewis to Help you share your faith. So before we talk about what these insights are, which I think is, is fascinating, tell me about C.S. Lewis and how much his work has uh, influenced your uh, spiritual life.
1: Sure. Well, that's where the story begins, because uh, while I was going to those church kind of events as a unsaved, crazy, sort of usually drunk uh, teenager... Uh, coming from a Jewish background. I mean, I I, I was going to those events because they were fun. Uh, I wasn't going for anything religious, but, but uh, people there really modeled uh, a personal relationship with God, and they encouraged me to read Matthew in the New Testament and C.S. Lewis's book, Mere Christianity. Um, I ignored them. I didn't listen to any of that, what they were saying. I went off to college. I um, sort of lived a kind of absurd, bizarre life, uh, although I was a music major and looking to music. But then uh, a whole host of circumstances prompted me to take c.s. Lewis's book, Mere Christianity, out of the school Library and I read it. and was just amazed about the brilliant logic that was challenging my thinking about Jesus. Uh, I I had been raised to believe that Jesus was was just a good teacher, and Lewis obliterated that view because given what Jesus said about himself, he couldn't be a good teacher. He'd either be a lunatic, I love the way Lewis said it, on the level of a person who calls himself a poached egg, (laughs) or Uh he'd be who he said he was. And that started for me to reshape and rethink everything. And then ever since then, Lewis has just been one of the most important voices in my spiritual growth because he says things so clearly and yet so, oh, provocatively. I mean, I'll find myself intrigued with an idea and laughing out loud at the same time while I read C.S. Lewis. So that he's been a a huge influence in my thinking.
0: Mm. What I love is that God has given you this ministry of, I don't know how to describe it. Maybe you describe it better. I mean, you you are doing apologetics, but I feel like ministry of evangelism, but also kind of helping equip the church to have conversations with people who are um, seeking or who are skeptical or or whatever. And, you know, your, your work is kind of focused in that area. When I think about like questioning evangelism, which is, you know, encouraging us to ask questions of people you know, to, to probe deeper. Um, and then you talked about the, you know, one of your books is called the gospel at home where, you know, if you're like you were, where you're on you're a new convert, but your whole family is not, are not believers. How do you have those conversations? And so obviously that it seems like C.S. Lewis would obviously resonate with you in that kind of area where you're trying to make arguments to encourage folks who are not believers to become believers.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Well, there's two things going on as you're talking that I'm thinking of. The first is that evangelism has never come easy for me. It's a struggle. And I think that that's been an advantage in helping other people who struggle. Because I I I, I know when when someone who finds something difficult hears from an expert who finds it to be easy, it doesn't help them very much. It's like, well, it's easy for him, but man, I don't know. So, so the fact that I'm a fellow struggler has been a plus. The other thing is, um, after becoming a Christian and then uh, growing for a couple of years, uh, then I joined the staff of Campus Crusade. And I, w- I was always assigned to campuses where the standard, typical Campus Crusade evangelism approaches did not work. They didn't work. The, the things that work very well or worked uh, in the Midwest and the South didn't work on the campuses where I was because I was always on the East Coast in big cities, and so so I had to experiment and I had to try different things. And I think the places where I was assigned had similarities to C.S. Lewis's during the World War II in in Britain, where people were skeptical, where people had kind of you know abandoned any kind of belief in the supernatural or be- certainly in the Christian belief. And so um, the fact that I was in difficult situations and that I was a struggler resonated with C.S. Lewis and has resonated with people that God has chosen to help me help.
0: Let me ask you this. The environment that we're in today in the West, let's just say, because other parts of the world are experiencing different things. You know, some are experiencing great, you know, great revival and great other, other things. But in the West, particularly how is the environment for sharing your faith different today than say it was when you first became a Christian or when you were actually kind of poking around and saying, Hey, is there something to this?
1: Well, I might go even a little bit further back in that there, there's a whole bunch of strategies of evangelism that were formulated in our country, in America, in the 1960s, 70s. And, uh, there were a time when people already had kind of a framework of a biblical worldview, even if even if they were atheists, that they, they were still shaped a whole lot by a Christian perspective. It was all it was surrounding them. So there were certain starting points that just worked in the nineteen sixties and seventies. You 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 could say to somebody, "Would you would you like to know God personally?" and they would say well, gee, that, that sounds pretty good. I I, I never I didn't know you can know God personally. And by the way, the God that came to their mind when you said that was the God you were talking about. Uh, even uh, I've heard uh, Don Carson say, uh, back then, even atheists were Christian atheists. <laughs> Meaning, they, they weren't Christians, but, but when you said the word God, the, the God, the, the topic that came to their mind was the one that you were talking about. Whereas today, for a whole host of reasons, no, that's not what comes to their mind. They they think, uh oh, you're one of those crazies. Um, which God are you talking about? Our world is filled with all sorts of different ideas about God. Uh, which one are you talking about? And why should I listen to you? And and so there's 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 less, if any, common ground, and there is a level of hostility of suspicion that we didn't we didn't face 30 years ago. So. So we have to update or change our methods. Without without changing our message, we need to change our methods in the same kind of way that Paul changed his method from Acts 13 when he's in a Jewish synagogue versus Acts 13 when he's on Mars Hill with a secular audience. And he knew he had to change his starting point, the, the route he took from their starting point to the gospel. Jesus took different routes. He, he spoke to Nicodemus very differently, a religious Jewish man in John chapter 3, than he talked to the woman at the well, a Samaritan woman, secular, not, not a religious woman, or, or certainly not the way Nicodemus was. So if Jesus changed his methods, and Paul did, we we need to also. But I think we've been resistant to, because the old methods were very successful, and they're less successful now but people are thinking well we just need to do them more. Well, I think we need to shift and adjust and that's been my thinking in my writing of how, how do we adjust to a very different audience now in our day and age.
0: Well, you know, I I so resonate with what you're saying because it um you know, it seems like during a previous era everyone as you said had a frame a Christian frame. They were not they were not Christians, of course, but they had a frame of the transcendent or a frame of some general concept of what the Bible said to where now it seems like, you know, so you could almost skip ahead to Romans and John and kind of close the deal, if you will, about personal salvation through Christ and over and against, you know, works-based religion or whatever. Mm-hmm. I still think obviously that matters today, but it does seem to share the gospel. We always have to step back and share the entire story from Genesis to revelation as sort of like, this is the narrative that Christians believe about the world. And it seems to answer some of the questions we have. It seems like we have to obviously shift our, our focus. However, I'm curious if you're finding, even though there's, you know, we're increasingly secularized, are you finding people still have those same longings or those same desires? Or, you know, as I've heard Tim Keller say, people still do have belief systems. If you poke hard enough, you know, about certain things they they have a sense of right and wrong you know it may be about their issue or their thing or or whatever the politics or whatever but there is kind of a sense and and so i guess i'm asking you how do you how do we as christians sort of find those places and really apply the gospel or, you know evangelize in those areas
1: yes well uh, on one level people will always have those needs and those desires cuz god has planted it in them there's something about being created in the image of god and uh, as Ecclesiastes says we're, we're God has placed eternity in our hearts, so there's that longing. But we do have to come at it from different angles today. um but but, I do think people are very hungry. in fact, if if anything, there there may be a stronger hunger. Uh, it's not just an intellectual curiosity, it's more of how how do I make relationships work because they're not working, and why? Why is there so much hostility in the world? Um, I, I, was, I was with a friend, and we were walking along uh, this kind of this sidewalk, and someone had spray painted a message on on the sidewalk, and it said, "Let's be better humans." <laughs> and I, I took a picture of it because I thought, "Yeah, let's." Um, but but I think for someone to 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 put that on the ground, it it means there's this there's this ache inside of it, like. Why can't we be better humans? why Why are we treating each other so poorly? And why are why are there such deep, deep problems of uh, in our in our world? So I think that there's a a stronger ache or a deeper ache, and the gospel is good news for that ache and those pains. But if I can go back a little bit to when you were asking about c s. Lewis, so, Lewis was asked to do some a series of radio broadcasts on the BBC mm-hmm. during World War II. And those broadcasts eventually became Mere Christianity, which we know. But originally, he was only asked to come on for five sessions. And he spent the first four in what we would call pre-pre-evangelism. I mean, he talked mm-hmm. about right and wrong, and why do we have this sense inside of us if someone if someone takes our seat on the bus? Hey, why did you take that? That was mine. And and, and he goes back so far to, how, how do we know anything? You know, and, and some people probably were getting frustrated with him. I think I think he did get kind of, you know, letters in, because toward the end of the fourth out of five weeks, the end of the fourth week, he said, don't think I'm moving faster than I am. I'm still not within 100 miles of the of the God of Christian theology. And I'll I'll bet some of the Christian listeners was like, you know, when, when's he going to start talking to them about becoming a Christian and being born again and, and believing in Jesus? And uh, he had woven some of that in, but it wasn't until the fifth week that he was trying to urge people to cross the line from unbelief to belief. And I think that that tells us that he thought there had to be a whole lot of preliminary work done. Otherwise, otherwise, the Christian message just doesn't make any sense. And I think that that's a message that people need to hear today, that for, for Christians, we need to do a lot of preliminary slow-moving and patient building of a case. Um, and again, for some people it's way too slow, but you know, I I, I, I think his approach is what we need. and. So that's why I wrote a whole book on it.
0: (laughs) Hello friends, I just wanna tell you about a really new partnership uh, that we have developed with an amazing company called Canopy. I don't know about you, but as a parent, I find it increasingly difficult to monitor my children's internet consumption with all the devices and computers and how do you balance safety on the internet in terms of objectionable content, pornography and things that we don't want them to see with speed and use of the internet for things that they need like their homework, getting a hold of them, my oldest one is driving and I want to be able to her to have a way to get a hold of me. How do you do that? Well, sometimes it feels like you have to prioritize either speed and accuracy and accessibility or safety. Well, my friends at Canopy have developed this really neat tool that they beta tested in Israel and it's so good, they brought it over to the United States and it uses this proprietary technology uh, using artificial intelligence to block objectionable images, but not always necessarily websites. And so how this works is that even on their phones, if someone texts them something objectionable or they're going to a website that they need to go to, but there's objectionable images, it doesn't block the website, but it'll block the, the images from coming through and it works uh, in multiple apps that are on their phone in ways that a lot of other filters don't. It's a great, great tool. And if you are a Way Home listener, you can go to canopy.us slash wayhome. That's canopy.us slash wayhome, C-A-N-O-P-Y.us slash wayhome. And you can get a special discount, your first 30 days free and 20% off of Canopy for life. So you want to do that. Go to canopy.us slash home and check this out. It's a great tool that I know you will use and and be thankful for as a parent. For those who are listening who may not understand what you mean by pre-evangelism, can you kind of give a a definition and on the one hand, on, on the other hand, can you kind of give a sense of what that would look like for an ordinary Christian who says, "Man, I'm not I'm not a uh, Randy Newman. I'm not Tim Keller. I'm not C.S. Lewis. I get a little intimidated by having to kind of have all marshal all these evidences and have all the scientific facts. So, can you maybe uh, walk the average Christian through what you're what you're thinking when you say pre-evangelism? Sure, sure,
1: sure. Yeah, but but let me quickly jump ahead and say, I, I um, on the one hand, I, I don't think this is easy, but on the other hand. We don't have to have it all figured out. We we should try things and watch God work. Um, So you know we don't have to we don't have to know all the answers and try to have it all figured out. I, I I almost get the idea that you know God is listening in on our conversations and he and he wants to say to us, hey, I can work with that. That's good. It's okay. I can work with that. So um, but so definitions. Well, the 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 place to begin is the definition of what is evangelism, and that's a that's a very tight kind of narrow uh, enterprise. Evangelism is the verbal proclaiming of the gospel message. It's stating in writing or out loud that God sent his son to die for sinful people, and if people respond, they can have eternal life. So it's it's a very tight uh, experience. It's the verbal proclaiming of the very precise gospel message. Now, Anything we do beforehand that paves the way for that, or even afterwards to clarify, that's kind of, that's, that's a preliminary, that's paving the way for the gospel message. So pre-evangelism would include things like telling people how you became a Christian, or pre-evangelism is saying, here are some good reasons why I think it makes sense to believe that God exists, or isn't life... Beautiful and wonderful, sometimes, and aren't there delicious foods, and aren't there beautiful sunsets, and does, doesn't that make you wonder if there's more to life than just molecules? So it's there's there's a million of those kinds of conversations. For in C.S. Lewis's life, it was a conversation with uh, Tolkien, who said to him, "Why is it that you love mythology and story so much?" if you're an atheist and you think life is pointless and meaningless? what, Why is it that you're drawn to beauty in mythology? Especially, why, why are you drawn to these stories of somebody, some, some god dying and coming back to life again? And, and what is it about someone offering their life to save somebody else? You see this in mythology all over the place. So, uh, hey, Jack. <laughs> <laughs> maybe that's not how Lewis uh, Tolkien said it to, to Lewis, but it's why are you drawn to these stories? And and Lewis had to wrestle with the fact that I really loved it when I saw it in these stories, but I was resistant to it when somebody said maybe they're pointing to the true myth, the one true story that all these other mythologies point to. So that's a that's a a, a great display, I think, of pre-evangelism. And I I think we're um, impatient or we want to rush through those conversations. But those are the pre-evangelistic conversations that I think we need to have with people.
0: So that, that presumes then, Randy, that we're looking at evangelism as kind of relationships over the long haul. You know, there will be obviously some conversations that, yeah, you have a conversation or two and it's what must I do to be saved and boom. Right. But for most of our conversations, particularly in this time and place, it's going to be an investment in a relationship over the long haul where you're willing to sort of start at this place where you're saying pre-evangelism and you're, work your way toward really talking through you know, the, the sort of theology of, of uh, salvation in the gospel.
1: Well, you know, we, we need to do a lot of reflecting on that passage in John chapter 4 where Jesus talked about sowing and reaping. And we, we like reaping a lot more than sowing because it's more exciting, you know, people coming to faith. Um, we, we like reaping in, in the physical farming world. You know, sowing is a lot of hard work and tilling the soil and planting the seed and watering and waiting and waiting and waiting. I mean, the reaping part is so much more fun. Oh, good. Bring mm-hmm. in the food. We're going to have a feast. So, um, and, but Jesus says that there, there's a need for both sowing and reaping and that they work together and he has this beautiful statement of you know in the end the sower and the reaper will rejoice together and so so different people i think have different callings more in some more in the sowing some more in the reaping or it's that at different times there's a greater need for more sowing and then there's times of reaping and uh we we've gotten impatient or I don't know, we we, we haven't valued the sowing aspect of it, but it sure seems to me that we're living in a time when th- this, I, this, I think, is a time far more of sowing than of reaping. There there will still be reaping, for sure, and there are people coming to faith. And, and in other parts of the world, right now, it's a great time of reaping and not needing the need of, of sowing as much, but that will change over time. Uh, so it's, it's, uh, looking at the teaching of Jesus and how he did things and what he taught us and then applying it to our unique situations. Mm. A couple more questions.
0: Uh, you have a chapter on the honoring of objections, which uh, I'm glad you talked about this because, you know, when we're sharing the, the gospel, and so when we finally work up the courage to kind of start the conversation, when someone has raises objections, it can kind of make us very defensive. You suggest uh, we don't do that.
1: Well, sure. Um, People will raise questions. They will raise objections. And so we need to anticipate that. What I find in C.S. Lewis's Mere Christianity and other places is, well, let me back up a little bit. C.S. Lewis didn't become a Christian until he was 32 years of age. He became an atheist when he was only 10 because his mother died and he lost any kind of faith in God. And so he had, from age 10 to age 32, a lot of years of thinking as a non believer. And he was trained very, very rigorously to be very thorough in his thinking. So he had lots and lots of time in his head of marshaling arguments and building defenses against a belief in God and against the Christian message. And so when people well, then he became a christian then when people raised those questions he he was respectful of them because it wasn't all that long ago that he was wrestling with those questions i i think some of us are frustrated with the process because either we can't remember when we wrestled with those questions or we didn't wrestle with them or or it was so long ago that it just seems kind of like it was no big deal but for him it was oh no this was a very big deal this was the dominant way of thinking for my adult life. So um, we need to ask the Lord to give us patience and compassion toward people and not feel the need that it has to be this very, very quick, shallow, uh, there, kaboom, drop the mic kind of answer. Uh, I was trained in a, a style of apologetics where the assumption was we've got really great answers and all you have to do is deliver this great answer and boom, that's the end of the conversation. And that's, that's not the way it works. I think for a lot of people, it's no, that just continues the conversation. And that's getting harder and harder to do in our culture because we're very disrespectful of people that we disagree with. We want to, we want to, either sarcastically or viciously show how stupid their line of thinking is and how ours is better. And that's just not very respectful of people. So I love the way Lewis said it in uh, The Weight of Glory. There are no ordinary people. You have never talked to a mere mortal. And so people are being, people are worthy of being treated with respect and dignity because they're creating the image of God. And they're worthy of being treated with compassion because look at how compassionate God has been toward us.
0: That's such a great, great point. You know, I've been to, and and look, I love everyone in the field of apologetics. I think it's so so important. But I have been to conferences or heard heard different presentations, which, you know, on a stage, it's really easy to sort of um, own or crush or refute. Someone who's not there. <laughs> yes. Right? Yeah. But I remember going I a lot of times I've gone home thinking, well, that is really cool if I am ever in a debate on a stage, but the conversations with my friends and coworkers and neighbors don't go like this. <laughs> you know, it's a it's a little piece of a conversation here. It's a phone call here. It's right. this and that. And it's not this sort of debate style, like, you know, here's so I love the way that you've really helped us think through this. And I want to encourage folks to get This book, Mere Evangelism, 10 Insights from C.S. Lewis to Help You Share Your Faith. This is really going to be helpful. One of the things I love about Randy's style and his approach is that uh, most of us are uneasy with sharing the gospel. It's, It's a hard work for us to do. This kind of helps walk us through, gives us some really good food for thought the next time we have a conversation with someone who doesn't know the Lord. And so I want to thank you, Randy, for your ministry. I want to encourage folks to check it out. Uh, We'll have links in the show notes. Uh, Randy, one more thing before we go. Uh, Maybe give a piece of encouragement to someone who is really praying for a friend or a loved one, or maybe a, a child who does not know the Lord. And they've been in this kind of long, you know, relationship and they're trying their best to be to be a witness to them, but it just doesn't seem like they're making any progress. What kind of advice would you give to someone like that if you could sort of sit across the table from them?
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and I think I think most of us are in that situation with at least one person in our lives. I can, I can certainly think of people very close to me that I've been praying for for a long time, and it is difficult. So a couple of things. One is, Jesus told a number of parables about prayer, and, and the text says he, he gave these parables so that we would not give up, that we would not lose heart. So it must be easy to lose heart. So you know, if you if you know that, you could kind of uh, kind of rise to the occasion, so to speak. The other uh, another thing is try to think of some people that you know who did come to faith after a long time away, and. Uh CS Lewis is certainly a great example. I mean, I uh, uh toward the end of the book, I share a letter that he wrote to a friend when he was only 17. And you read that letter and you think, "Oh man, this guy's never going to come to faith." Well, he did. So so that that's worth reflecting on. Think about the apostle Paul, he used to go around killing Christians, uh, and look at how God worked. So so the focus is, well, look at what God has done and look at what God is capable of doing and and then to remember that for anybody to become saved is a miracle it's an absolute miracle we were dead in our trespasses and sins and god made us alive so the more improbable it looks the more uh powerful it is that god can work um but but it it also helps to have some other people praying alongside with you to encourage you to keep going keep going keep praying keep offering little tidbits, keep asking God to bring other people into their lives who will say the same things that you've been saying, but for some inexplicable reason, they'll listen to that person better than they'll listen to you. That's such a good word.
0: And I want to thank you, uh, Randy Newman, for, for joining me today here on the Way Home Podcast. I encourage folks to check out his books, incredibly helpful. Uh, We'll have links in the show notes. Thank you so much. I appreciate it.
1: Oh, thanks for the opportunity. Good to be with you.
0: Thank you for listening to this edition of the Way Home Podcast with Daniel Darling. For more information, you can visit danieldarling.com. If you do like this podcast, we encourage you to subscribe on iTunes or your favorite podcast catcher. We also encourage you to rate and review so others can know about the podcast. You can follow me at at Dan Darling on Twitter or go to my Facebook page, facebook.com slash Daniel M. Darling. I also want to encourage you again to check out my latest book, Away With Words, and you can visit awaywithwordsbook.com. Thank you for listening again to The Way Home Podcast.
1: podcast is
0: part of the edify podcast network edify is a faith inspiring app that brings together thousands of the best christian podcasts in one place for your listening enjoyment cut through the noise and grow your faith by diving into the world's top christian podcasts today download the edify app for free from the app store or google play or by going to edify.app that's edify.app